Let's open our Bibles now to the book of Exodus, chapter 25, and we're going to take a look at the furniture of the tabernacle tonight, and I think that uh, you're going to see things a little bit differently. I really appreciate Brother Pat's presentation last week, um, in which he he gave us uh, an idea of what the tabernacle may have looked like to people in the area, and as they came in closer and closer to the children of Israel, what they would have seen and what the children of Israel would have seen and, and the visual uh, effect upon them as they looked at the tabernacle and also as they heard the, the noise of the animals and smelled the death and the, and the uh, burnt offerings going up. So we definitely got, a <clears throat> got more of a, of a visual presentation of the tabernacle. And of course, the tabernacle is all about teaching us the significance and the work of, of the Lamb of God. Uh, it, po- it focuses us toward Christ. Let's do a, a, a quick um, <clears throat> context. The Lord redeemed the people of Israel from Egyptian bondage, and he led them through the wilderness and providing them food and water and protection. And then the Lord brought them to Mount Sinai to make a covenant with them. And the purpose of the covenant was to make them a peculiar or unique treasure, a kingdom of priests, and a holy nation. And again, this time you all get to tell me because I've been telling you what is the law what was the law never intended to provide? Never intended to provide salvation. It was always intended to give Israel instructions for their testimony as a nation, for their testimony as a nation to the to the rest of the world. Well, the covenant of the law included the moral requirements the people of Israel were to be a holy or separate nation. And holy is a, holy is a really neat word. Um, as most of us know, the word holy means separate, set apart. Sort of like this chair. We could take this chair and say, okay. Now this chair was just like all the other chairs up there. But now it's been set apart. Hey, we can get some feedback if I get much closer here. But now it's been set apart. And, and uh, we might say, well, this chair is the special place where the Lord is going to sit whenever, <coughs> excuse me, whenever he visits Mission Boulevard Baptist Church. So now, that, ch- that chair is a sanctified chair. And another word for sanctified is holy. Now, this is just for the choir, but that chair is holy. It's been set apart and sanctified for, for the Lord's use. Well, the first thing that the Lord deals with in talking about the setting apart or sanctifying or making holy of the children of Israel is the moral requirements, that they're, they're going to have a different lifestyle. And then in addition to their personal moral behavior, we're going to see that they have a system of government. We saw that they accepted the covenant and that Moses and the elders went up to the people and that the covenant was, was made. They agreed that they would keep the covenant, the the uh, the blood of the covenant was shed, and the and the uh, people were sprinkled. The law was sprinkled with the blood, and then the Lord called Moses up into the into Mount Sinai for instructions for the house of God. Whenever we study this portion of the Bible, the portion that's devoted to the tabernacle in the book of Exodus, in Exodus 25 through 31, we have the instructions for building the tabernacle. And then in chapters 32, 33, and 34, after God gave the instructions, we have a major crisis because while Moses was up on the mountain getting, <coughs> excuse me, getting the instructions, 
the people of Israel fell into idolatry. There was a there was a void there, and they filled it up with an idol. And then after the crisis passed, then they went on and constructed the tabernacle. Now, here's a look at the instructions for building the tabernacle. Exodus chapters 25 through 31. First of all, we have the instructions for the offering. And we spent a little time looking at that last week. Uh, all the, the different materials of the offering. The furniture, and that's what we're in right now. We're, go- we're going to be looking specifically at the furniture of the tabernacle. Then the tent itself. And of course, that's the, that's the building itself. The facility of the tabernacle. Then there are instructions for the priests the people that are going to be the priests, the garments that they wear, and how they're going to be consecrated, and then how the tabernacle was constructed. Now, relative to the, that first point, the offering, uh, we, we read that God wanted the offering taken from people with a certain heart. What was the heart that God was looking for in giving the offering? A willing heart. That's right. This tabernacle was going to be the place where God lived among the people of Israel, and the, the very first requirement... To, to build the tabernacle was a willing heart. A willing heart. One of the things that we learn about the Lord is that he does not violate a person's will. I think we, we would call that being a gentleman in, in some circles. The, the Lord is a gentleman. The Lord is not going to force himself upon, upon people. So, he, so the Lord wants a, a willing heart, first of all. Boy, the Lord teaches us so much about our relationship with him through the tabernacle if we've got our got our ears on and our, and our hearts open. Then, the materials, and as we read through the list here, we see that this is not cheap. <clears throat> the Lord did not say, take some twigs and dirt and mud and rocks and just throw this thing together. No, the Lord required the very best of the materials that they had. Although the very best of the materials that we have is not worth very much whenever we get to heaven. We've probably talked, did I talk with you all about the man who died and took gold with him? Yeah. Why did you bring pavement with you? So this was the best materials in the in the hearts and minds of men: gold, silver, brass, fine uh, fabrics, uh, leather, oil, um, for, and then the spices for sweet incense, and then the precious gems, the onyx stones, to be set in the breastplate and other other kinds of stones. And and the Lord said that the purpose of this tabernacle was that the Lord. This is verse eight: that make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. Ah, remember the, the chair that was set apart, that, that chair that's been sanctified. Sanctuary means a place that's been set aside. So, so the Lord wanted them to set aside a place for him to dwell. So it was going to be the Lord's special place among the children of Israel. That was the purpose of it. And of course we know, as, as it tells us in the next verse there, that this was not the real dwelling place of God. This was a representation of the dwelling place of God. And what we see in this idea, this is in, in verse 9, Exodus 25, 9. The Lord told Moses to build the tabernacle according to the pattern that God had showed him in the mountain. And the idea of that is that is that what we are seeing here is a visual aid. This is not the real thing. This is just the, the visual aid. And the Lord told Moses in, in Exodus 24, before he pulled him up here into the mountain and gave him all these instructions... The Lord told Moses in Exodus chapter 24 and verse 12, the Lord introduced these instructions of the tabernacle with this statement. Are you all there? Exodus 24, 12, it says, The Lord said unto Moses, Come up to me into the mount and be there, 
And I will give thee tables of stone and a law and commandments which I have written that thou mayest teach them. This information that the Lord gave Moses here in the instructions for the tabernacle is preceded by the specific commandment of the Lord. I'm giving you these, these laws so that you can teach them. So there was a body of instruction that went along with these commandments. And, and Moses took these, these commandments, these instructions for the building of the tabernacle, the things that we're looking at right now, and Moses taught the significance of the tabernacle to the people. These commandments were given as a visual aid to teach the people about their relationship with the Lord. So the very first thing that God tells Moses to do is to, is to make furniture. And the first thing that we looked at last time we got together was the, was the ark and the mercy seat. And the ark and the mercy seat, of course, the ark is the box and the mercy seat was the lid. And we see the instructions for the ark and the mercy seat. <coughs> there are many ideas as to exactly what the ark and the mercy seat may have looked like. Some of them are more impressive than others. But, but we see the instructions that are given there that we have a golden box that has um, rods for carrying it and a couple of angelic creatures that are covering it. The purpose of the mercy seat is, is found there. And let's take a look at that. Exodus chapter 25, verses 21 through 23. And thou shalt put the mercy seat above upon the ark. In the ark thou shalt put the testimony that I shall give thee. And there I will meet with thee and will commune with thee from above the mercy seat from between the two cherubims, which are upon the ark of the testimony, of all things which I will give thee in commandment unto the children of Israel. So the, the ark represents the place where God communes. This is the place where the word of God comes forth. And of course the contents of the ark, well they included, as, as the Lord mentions here, the tables of the Ten Commandments, but as time went on a couple of other things were put into the ark. What were the two other things that were put into the ark of the covenant? Right. Aaron's rod that, that budded, and we'll talk about that some a little bit later, and a pot of manna. So you've got the, the, uh, the Ten Commandments, which represents God's requirement of righteousness. We've got the pot of manna representing God's loving provision for the children of Israel in the wilderness. And then we've got the Aaron's rod that budded, which shows that there is access to this God through an approved priest. We have access to this loving and righteous God. So the contents of the tabernacle are quite significant. And of course, the, the ark and the mercy seat represent the authority of God. And it may have looked something like this. This is about as good a representation as, as I have seen of the, of the ark of the covenant, according to the instructions that are given. Now, let's take a look at the, um, the instructions for the table of the showbread. Let's go to Exodus chapter 25, and let's begin in verse 23. <coughs> Thou shalt also make a table of shittim wood. Two cubits shall be the length thereof, and a cubit the breadth thereof, and a cubit and a half the height thereof. And thou shalt overlay it with pure gold, and make thereto a crown of gold round about. And thou shalt make unto it a border of an hand breadth round about, and thou shalt make a golden crown to the border thereof round about it. And thou shalt make for it four rings of gold, and put the rings in the four corners that are on the four feet thereof. Over against the border shall the rings be for places of the staves to bear the table. And thou shalt make the staves of shittim wood, and overlay them with gold, that the table may be borne with them. And thou shalt make the dishes thereof, and spoons thereof, and covers thereof, and bowls thereof, to cover withal. 
of pure gold shalt thou make them. And thou shalt set upon the table showbread before me always. So we've got a table probably not too much bigger than this one here. As Brother Pat pointed out last time, the, <clears throat> the, the uh, tabernacle itself was not too much too big to fit on the stage up here. It's, it's a little bit small, and these pieces of furniture are relatively small. And I think that that's really significant because, because whenever you come into a place that's small, there's a word that we use for that. A small place, it's got a few pieces of furniture in it. We call it cozy. Cozy. What the Lord is showing us in the smallness of these, of the tabernacle itself, the smallness of the furniture, is that this is meant to be a place of intimacy. It, it's not, a, you know, it's not a big, impressive, huge palace, although it could have been. But it's made of the most wondrous, most beautiful, most expensive material. But it's small enough for an individual to come in there and feel that he's that there that he is somebody <laughs> in there. So there's a, there's a personableness. In there, and, and we see that in the smallness of the furniture. Well, we just read the description. Let's go ahead and flip over to Leviticus chapter 24 and see a word about the showbread it, itself. Leviticus 24, verses 5 and 6. What we get here in, in Exodus, of course, is just the instructions for the furniture. And there's a few words here in Leviticus 24 regarding the, the uh, showbread. And the showbread means the, well, the, the bread of God's presence. Actually, it means the bread of the face. The bread of the face, the bread of the face of God. It's um, <coughs> lekem shanim, which is the, or panim, I'm sorry, panim, the, uh, the bread of the face, or showbread, the bread of God's presence. And it says here in verse 5, Thou shalt take fine flour and bake twelve cakes thereof, two tenths deals shall be in one cake. And thou shalt set them in two rows, six on a row, upon the pure table before the Lord. And thou shalt put pure frankincense upon each row that it may be on the bread for a memorial, even an offering made by fire unto the Lord. Every Sabbath he shall set it in order before the Lord, being taken from the children of Israel by an everlasting covenant. So we're going to have two stacks of bread on the table. <coughs> and perhaps it was it had this kind of an appearance to it, the, uh, the table of showbread. I don't know why they put that little picture there. I guess that represents some oil or something like that. Personally, if I had drawn it, I would not have put the little picture there. But the idea is that we have two stacks of bread, and this is the the showbread, the bread of the presence of God. And then we move on to the candlestick. And it's interesting that our King James translators chose to use the word candlestick the, the word that's translated candlestick here is the word menorah. And we've probably heard that word before. If you have any contact with the Jew, Jewish people at all, the, the, this, this is the famous menorah. And it's a lampstand more than a candlestick. In fact, he... Well, let's go ahead and read it. Uh, Exodus 25. Let's go ahead and read there verses 31 through 40. And thou shalt make a candlestick of pure gold. Of beaten work shall the candlestick be made. His shaft and his branches, his bowls, his knops, knops means knobs, and his flowers shall be of the same. And six branches shall come out of the sides of it, three branches of the candlestick out of the one side, and three branches of the candlestick out of the other side. Three bowls shall be like unto almonds, with a knop and a flower in one branch, 
and three bowls made like almonds in the other branch with a knop and a flower, so in the six branches that come out of the candlestick. And in the candlestick shall be four bowls like made like unto almonds with their knops and their flowers. And there shall be a knop under two branches of the same, and a knop under two branches of the same, and a knop under two branches of the same, according to the six branches that proceed out of the candlestick. Their knops and their branches shall be of the same. All of it shall be one beaten work of pure gold. And thou shalt make the seven lamps thereof, and they shall light the lamps thereof, that they may give light over against it. And the tongs thereof and the snuff dishes thereof shall be of pure gold. Of a talent of pure gold shall he make it with all these vessels. And look that thou make them after the pattern which was showed thee in the mount. I think that there's a couple of significant statements here on that verse 40. One is the verbal instructions here do not do justice as to exactly what the candlestick was supposed to look like. Uh, because we can read the knops and bowls there and have to really ponder, okay, now exactly what does that what does that mean and come up with different pictures. But Moses saw what it was supposed to look like. So he had these verbal instructions to reinforce what he saw. But another another important issue here is that is that here in verse forty the Lord is marking these three pieces of furniture and setting them apart from the other instructions that are about to follow. These three pieces of furniture go together. Let's talk about these these three for, for just a minute. We've got the the ark. Oh, let's take a look at, at a representation of the candlestick. We've looked at the description. Oh, also let's talk about the candlestick just a little bit more, about the continual light. Let's go back over to Leviticus twenty four. I'm sorry, I'm starting to jump trying to jump ahead of myself a little bit here. In Leviticus twenty four, relative to the candlestick, in verse one it says And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Command the children of Israel that they bring unto thee pure oil olive beaten for the light to cause the lamps to burn continually. Without the veil of the testimony, in the tabernacle of the congregation shall Aaron order it from the evening unto the morning before the Lord continually. It shall be for a statute forever in your generations. And he shall order the lamps upon the pure candlestick before the Lord continually. So the people of Israel were to have continual light in the tabernacle of the congregation. And to jump ahead just a little bit, if we, if we were to walk into the holy place of the tabernacle of the congregation, we, we would step in, the veil would close behind us, and the only light that would be in there would be the light from the seven flames coming off the candlestick. But, and that may not sound like a lot, but whenever you stop to consider that the walls, both on the on the south side, that would be the south side, the walls on the south side and the walls on the north side are both solid gold. Solid gold. So there's going to be a lot of reflected light in there as well. In fact, it's going to be sort of a golden glow in that place produced by the by the candlestick and of course the the lamp, the lamp is, it, it tells us it's giving light to the table. And so the priest will be able to see the table and then uh, up here in front of him is the, is the golden altar for, for the incense. And then there's the, the veil that separates the holy place from the most holy place. Well, we've got these three pieces of furniture. We have the ark and the mercy seat, which represents the authority of God. 
We have the table of showbread. And of course, what, what is the function of bread? Yeah, it's food. Bread is a couple of things in the, in the, in the biblical way of thinking. Bread is for the basic nourishment of the body, yes. It does provide necessary nutrition and satisfies hunger. And it's, it's also a representation of fellowship. It's a representation that this is where we, we meet together and we, sh- we share a meal together. This is the place of nourishment. This is the place of nourishment. Social nourishment, physical nourishment, that, that's it. The candlestick is the representation of knowledge. It's the, it's the light that gives us the ability to see and understand what's going on in the, uh, in the, in the presence of God. All right, so there's a representation of the, of the golden candlestick. Now, the furniture of the tabernacle. There are three pieces of furniture that were told about before anything else. The first thing that the Lord told Moses about relative to the tabernacle, he didn't tell him to build the courtyard. He didn't tell him to build the, the building itself or the altar or anything like that. The Lord went straight to these three pieces of furniture, the very first thing to introduce Moses to the tabernacle. And one obviously represents the throne and authority. The other represents the place of sustenance and, and nourishment, the place where needs are met. And then the, the third piece of furniture is the one that illuminates everything else. So the Lord's focus was immediately on these three fur- pieces of furniture, these three positions. And so the ark would, would represent the, the position and authority of the, of the Father. The, of course, the, the table, the showbread, that's the bread of life. And that's the place where we go to actually interact and have fellowship and, and meet and sustain our, our needs. And the Holy Spirit is the one that, that illuminates um, the, the, all of it for us. The Holy Spirit is what makes it real to us and gives us the illumination. <clears throat> I'm Ken Francis, and I'm the one that is responsible for this interpretation. So... <laughs> So I, I approve of this message, but if you can, <laughs> if you would like to discuss with me the significance of that sometime, I think I would sure be glad to talk with you about it. But I just thought it was really noteworthy that that as we look at the tabernacle from God's perspective, God tells us these three pieces of furniture before anything else. And if we think about the significance, there is an interesting um, correlation between these three pieces of furniture and the and the work of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in the, in the work of, the, of our redemption. Well, again, the focus of the tabernacle is really to teach us about the, how we're redeemed by the blood of the Lamb and the, the blessings that we receive through Him. All right, so we're still looking at the building of the tabernacle. Next, we will get into the building itself. We'll look at the, the building of the tabernacle next time we get together.